Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to finish our series this morning on when the mountain doesn't move. And uh, I realize that uh, sometimes in your life and my life, that there are obstacles that we have that seem insurmountable. But how many of you know God is bigger than anything you ever face? Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. We're so glad that you are with us today. We feel your spirit. And we're excited about what you're doing among us and through us. So, Lord, open up our ears and our hearts to receive your word. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Turn to your neighbors. I'm glad you're here today. Why would anybody want to be here today? Goodness gracious, this is the best thing uh, in southern Oklahoma. I'll tell you what. Years ago... Uh, we took a vacation, and when I was growing up, we didn't take many vacations. Dad always thought we needed to work. And so our vacations went something like this. Um, we'd load up with Mom and Dad and Steve and I, and we would go about a day somewhere. It would take Dad about two days to figure out we ought to be home working, and then a day back. And so that, that was kind of our vacation. So one year, we went to a little town in New Mexico called Cuesta, which is right west of uh, Red River. And so Dad had rented a cabin, and uh, there was a little stream, a little brook uh, back behind the cabin at the base of the mountain, and we went uh, trout fishing with salmon eggs. So you'd put the little orangey eggs, red eggs on the hook, and you'd go back and you'd fish. And, and so we'd fish all day and catch nothing. And so we, we decided we were going to climb the mountain back behind our cabin. And, I mean, it wasn't really huge, huge, but, you know, it's bigger than, you know, Duncan's Mountain. And um, so we, we decided, I'm, you know, in high school, Steve's in junior high, so we decided we're going to climb the mountain. So we, we were there for about an hour and a half, two hours, and it looked like we made no progress at all. I mean, we, you didn't have to ropes. I mean, you just walked up the mountain. But after a while, you just think, you know, uh, we, we, we walked for about two hours here, and it looks like we've made no progress. Let's go back and eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. So, you know, you, you think, I can tackle this, but sometimes it's bigger than what you think, and you have to exert more energy and effort than you ever thought you could. So, you know, the mountains are beautiful, and they're referred to over 300 times in your Bible. But how many of you know there's the good, the bad, and the ugly about mountains? Yeah. And, and let me just give you a little synopsis, a little walkthrough here. Uh, mountains are beautiful. They can re represent good things. Uh, Noah's ark rested on Mount Ararat. That was a good thing. Flood was over. Uh, Moses went up to the mountain and got the Ten Commandments. Elijah went up on Mount Carmel and built the uh, altar and ended the drought. Jesus was transfigured on a mountain. He prayed on mountains, and he ascended to heaven from a mountain. All good. But here's the negative and the ugly side. Moses and Israel wandered around a mountain for a long time in the wilderness. We also know that Zerubbabel, when he was trying to rebuild the second temple after the first temple, Solomon's temple was destroyed, he went back to rebuild it. And that effort and that rebuilding was called a mountain for Zerubbabel. Also, we know that Satan tempted Jesus on an exceedingly high mountain and promised to give him the kingdoms of the world. So there was temptation on the mountain. And there are times in your life and my life that mountains really get in our way. And we're told to speak to the mountain. Speak to the mountain, have it removed. And uh, sometimes when you speak to it, it seems like nothing happens. Have you ever talked to a mountain and it's still there? It could be an offense. Someone offended you. It could be financial. It could be marriage. Um, how, how many of you here are married? Okay. How many of you have been married? 
Okay, some more hands going up. Have you ever in your marriage or past marriage ever had intense fellowship? Now, Carrie and I have been married a long time. We, we've had intense fellowship before. And one of the things that I know that I've said to her, and she, this no, you know, shock to her, I've said, Carrie, when we're together and we're moving forward and, and, you know, everything's good, I feel like I could tackle the world no matter how big the mountain is. But if we're not together, then I feel like anything could really be a hindrance to me. It just doesn't work right. And sometimes when you face your mountain and I face my mountain, if we're not together, it seems like it's almost insurmountable. But I want to give you a verse, just one verse today. This is Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. You can look at the screens. It says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. Let's say that together. Here we go. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now let's take the first line. Here we go all together. Just the first line. Fear not, for I am with you. See, see there's five promises just in that one verse. Here they are. The first one, God says, I'm with you. The second thing he said, I'm your God. Third thing, I will strengthen you. Fourth thing, I will help you. Fifth thing, I will uphold you. There are times in my life when the mountain is so large and so looming and so giant that it seems like I just can't move forward. But here are the promises of God. And sometimes I have to remind myself and you have to remind yourself that God promised you something. You have to say, okay, here's my challenge. Here's my issue. Here's my marriage. Here's my health. Here's my kids here I am God I am struggling with this and you have to go back and rehearse God said Lord this is what you promised me you are with me I'm not in this alone you are my God you will strengthen me you will help me you will hold me up and when I am reminded about the promises of God then I don't want to give up but when I get away from that it tends to want me to give in or give up. And how many of you know, you can't give up. You have to realize no matter how big your mountain is, you serve a God that's bigger than your mountain. There's no mountain bigger than our God. Can I hear an amen? So God is bigger than your mountain. Last week we mentioned Paul. Remember Paul, the apostle who had a thorn in the flesh? We don't exactly know what that was. But Paul went to God and he said, God, take this away. He said, I besought the Lord. Matter of fact, one translation says, I pleaded with the Lord three times. Take it away, take it away, take it away. And guess what God did? He didn't take it away. If that was a mountain in Paul's life, how many of you know that mountain was still there? But yet he prayed and he prayed and we prayed. Listen, this is Paul, the apostle, who raised the dead, cast out demons, healed the sick, preached the gospel, and the mountain didn't move. But this is what God said. He said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. I know that I haven't removed this from you, but let me tell you what I'll do. I'll exalt my grace higher than your mountain. My grace will supersede your need. You know, that has to be so true in your life too. Because sometimes you get in that mindset and you think, I cannot face this, but God's grace is amplified over your difficulty. How many of you believe that today? His grace is sufficient. And sometimes we do this, Lord, I've prayed about this. 
I've prayed about it over and over and over and over. I've fasted. I've come to you. I've sought you. I've believed you. But I haven't seen my mountain move. So what do I do? I'm glad you asked me. Because I'm going to tell you. Are you listening? What do we do when it looks like the mountain is not moved? Here's number one. You got a pencil and paper? Get it out. This is worth the price of admission this morning. What do you do when your mountain is not moved? The first thing you have to do is you've got to climb it. Maybe he won't remove it because he's asking you to climb the mountain. And you say, well, you know, do I have to climb the mountain? Sometimes we do. You know, Mount Everest is the highest mountain in the world, 29,035 feet. 29,035 feet high. That is a huge mountain. Matter of fact, there is no other mountain that even compares with Mount Everest. The average climb time, if you're going to climb that mountain, is two months. Not two days, not two weeks, but two months. The best time to climb it is starting in April. I did some research. So if you and I got there to the Mount uh, that's highest in the world, Mount Everest, and we're at the bottom of the mountain, then if we get there April the 1st, then on April the 2nd, we start our ascent up to the mountain. So between April the 2nd and 10th, we go to the base camp. We make our gear and our base camp collectively at 17,500 feet. The base camp, this is where you start, is 17,500 feet. That's 3,000 feet higher than any mountain in the continental United States. That's your camp. That's where you start from. So it takes several days just to get to the base camp, and you're at 17,500 feet, and now you start the climb. You think, it's 17,500 feet, that's when I start? Yeah, that's where, that's where you start. So you have your, your base camp set up. It takes you about two days to set up the camp. April the 14th to May 29th, you start your climb. So you start your climb. You set up another camp at 19,500 feet. Then you go up a little higher, and then you set up another camp at 21,000 feet. You go up higher, you set your third camp at 23,500 feet. Now understand this. At every camp, you have to remain there so many days. Now, why do you have to stay there? You can't keep moving because, number one, you have to climatize yourself to the altitude and the atmosphere. So at every juncture of going higher, you have to stay there a while until you get acclimatized to that location. So every place you get there, you, you may be like, uh, you know, the guy who say, man, I'm charging the mountain. You charge the mountain, you die, Bubba. So every place you get there, you got to stay a few days to get acclimatized because the atmosphere and the altitude is so different. I remember several years ago, we went skiing, and we went as a church group. I'd never been skiing before, and so Carrie and I and the boys, we, we go, we're at Wolf Creek Pass, it's about 10,000 something feet up, it's where the, the ski resort is, and so since we'd never skied before, that first day we took lessons, and so, you know, we, we have this uh, guy giving us lessons, he's more interested in Carrie than he is me, and um, so he spends more time with her than he does me. So uh, the kids are, you know, getting lessons too, and uh, they hated it. But, uh, you know, kids, they just jump on, they do it. But, you know, I'm, I'm a redneck from Oklahoma. 
so the guide says, uh, the, the instructor, he says, okay, for all of you folks from Oklahoma and Texas, he says there's about a third less oxygen uh, up here than what you're used to, so you're going to be sucking air. Well, I'm sucking air anyway because I'm doing physical exercise on a mountain that has less oxygen. And so we go up after instruction, and I'm trying to do all this, and we're coming down. I'm not on like a double black or triple black. I mean, I'm just up on the mountain. And so I'm falling around. I'm dodging trees. People are saying, get out of my way in a very loving way. And, and, and so, you know, I'm, I'm skiing, and I'm down, and I'm up, and I'm sweating on the inside. I'm cold on the outside. And I said, God, if you will get me off this mountain, I will not go up again. And guess what? He kept his end of the bargain. I kept mine. So I, I get to the bottom, and I'm just totally worn out. And I said, people think this is fun. This is work. And, and so I, I, go to the, I go to the lodge, and everybody said, well, aren't you going to go back up, Pastor? I said, no. I said, I'm fine. I'm here by the fire. I have a cup of hot chocolate. I'm looking out the big window. You have your fun. I'm good. I'll read a book. Hello. Goodbye. And so, you know, everybody skied. I'm good. Just get me off this mountain. And guess what? I've still kept up my end of the bargain. I have not gone up again. Because, I mean, the kids have gone, but that's good. I mean, it just wasn't fun to me. And, and so here you are. You're at 23,500 feet up the mountain. And now you're going to tackle the summit. So you're going to 29,035 feet. You see, the mountain can either kill you or mature you. It will weaken you or strengthen you. And so you and I have to face this because sometimes God doesn't take the mountain away. He says, okay, now, Mike, you need to climb this mountain. And if you're not prepared, if you're not up for the challenge, guess what? You die. Do you know over 300 people have died on Mount Everest over the years? They say there's 200 bodies still frozen in the ice and the snow that they haven't even tried to get down. What happened? People took the challenge, but they weren't ready. They weren't prepared. And you see, this is true for everybody. The immature will die there. The undisciplined will die there. So when we say, God, move my mountain. And God says, okay, I'm not moving the mountain. What do I do? And God says, then if I'm not going to move it, then you need to climb it. Sir Edmund Hillary, who was the first person to climb Mount Everest that we know of, he's an Englishman. Matter of fact, he conquered Mount Everest on May 29, 1953, the very day I was born. Isn't that awesome? That, that's when he reached the peak. The, see, there was two peaks in the world. I was born and he reached Mount Everest. <laughs> so it was the very day I was born. And this is what he said. It's not the mountain we conquer, but ourselves. We don't just conquer, conquer the mountain. We, we conquer ourselves. Because see, when you do that kind of activity, when you have that kind of move, when you, when you go through that, let me tell you what it will do. It will harden you. It will strengthen you. It will make you more resilient when you climb the mountain. You see, not only do we climb the mountain, but we don't want to climb the mountain alone. We don't want to climb the mountain alone. You see, it's faster and safer with a guide. So you don't want to tackle it alone. Let me read you an article. This is January the 2nd, 2018 from CNN, that trusted news source, CNN. Um, some of you get that on the way home. Um, the Nepal government has banned foreign individuals from climbing and scaling all mountains in the country without an escort. 
You know why they put that ban on? Because when people tried to climb alone, guess what most of the time happened? They died. How many of you know the Bible is true? Two is better than one. So when you're going through your difficulties, when you have your challenge, when you're climbing the mountain, don't try to do that by yourself. How many of you know we all need help? And some of the greatest help we need is the Holy Spirit to be our guide. So we're climbing the mountain. The climb of the mountain is safer with a guide. The second thing is the climb to the summit gives you a different perspective. It will give you a different perspective. Folks, if you're at the bottom of the mountain, you can only see one side of the mountain. Your view is restricted. But the higher you go, the higher you climb, when you reach the summit, how many of you know, your view drastically changes. Now not only can you see just one side, now you can see the other sides and your vista and your view completely changes. Sometimes we are so narrow in our view, we don't realize there's another view. And the only way you get to the other view is you climb the mountain. Can I hear an amen? So when you and I climb the mountain, we see a different vision. We see a different vista because at the bottom, our view is so small. How many of you know the older you got, you see things differently? Okay, let me talk to this group over here. How many of you know the older you got, you see things differently? Let me tell you why. Because you've climbed some mountains. You've been through some stuff. Anybody been through some stuff here? And you see things differently. Listen, when I was about 18, 19, 20, 21, I was the smartest person in the world. Until I got to be about 50 and I realized how dumb I was. But the problem is you don't know it then. Okay. You just don't know it. But the higher you climb the mountain, the view begins to change. You see things you've never seen before. So when the mountain doesn't move, you may be called to climb it. Secondly, when the mountain doesn't move, you may be called to tunnel through it. There's only so many things you can do to a mountain. God has to remove it. If he doesn't remove it, you may be called to climb it. If you don't climb it, you may be called to tunnel through it. You say, Pastor, that's some of the dumbest stuff I've ever heard. Well, you know what? I've tended to preach the Bible here. How many of you appreciate that? Yeah. You know, the only thing I know how to preach is the Bible. I'm not much on psychology. I'm not much on culture. I'm not much on pop uh, society. But, but I kind of know what the Bible says. Well, pastor, you mean we got to tell them through it? Do you realize that God took Noah through the flood? Do you realize he took Israel through the Red Sea? He, he didn't say, Noah, let me remove the flood. No, he said, I'll take you through the flood. He didn't say, I'm going to remove the sea. He said, I'm going to take you through the sea. He led them through the wilderness. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I am going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes God just takes you through some stuff and he doesn't remove the stuff. Can I hear an amen? Let, let me give you another verse. Isaiah 43, 2. When you pass through the waters... I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. Do you notice there's three throughs there? Sometimes he doesn't remove the waters. He takes you through the waters. Sometimes he doesn't remove the river. He takes you through the river. Sometimes he doesn't remove the flames. He takes you through the flames. Pastor, does he do that? That's what he said he does. So we have to realize sometimes he doesn't remove it. He says, Mike, you've got to go 
through it. Did that ever happen in the Bible? Sure. Let me take you back many years ago. It's on the plains of Shinar, the expanse of Dura, the plain, and the king, the player is Nebuchadnezzar. He controls that area of the known world from India through Persia, the Middle East, the Caucasus Mountains, all the way up to Asia Minor, parts of Western Europe, down to Egypt, Northern Africa. King Nebuchadnezzar controls it all. He is the reigning king. And in one chapter, he has a vision. And in the vision, he sees an image with a golden head. And he sees all these components of an image. And no one can interpret his dream of the image that he has. And only one guy can interpret it, and his name is Daniel. And Daniel interprets the vision of the image. Next chapter, Nebuchadnezzar builds an image. I found that interesting. Next chapter, he builds an image. 90 feet high, 10 feet wide, and he says, Everybody in my kingdom, when you hear the music and you see the image, you bow down and you worship the image and you worship the image and you worship the image whenever you, you hear it and throughout the kingdom this declaration is when you hear this certain sound you bow down and you worship matter of fact that's not just going on in Babylon how do you know there's about two billion people still doing that today they hear the sound they get down they bow down they worship started right here in Babylon still going on some of you get that later and here they are captivated by this glorious king who's full of himself and the music plays and everybody bow down and worship me. And then the counselors and the deputies and the people who are over the kingdom said, you know what, King Nebuchadnezzar, there's a, there's, there's a remnant of group and people in your kingdom that doesn't do that. Matter of fact, one day when the music sounded, there were three guys there that you know by the name of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And when the music played, guess what? They didn't bow down. And when the king heard about it, he was livid. I mean, he was furious. You read it. I mean, this guy was coming unhinged. So he had him brought to him. And he says, listen, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I hear that when the music plays, you're not bowing down and worship this image that I put up. And you know what they said? I mean, they didn't kick dirt. I mean, they didn't look around. You know what they said? They said, King, we're not even careful to answer you on this. We're not going to bow down this image. We're not going to worship this image. How many of you know they had some morals, they had some character, they had some teaching. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Don't make any images. Don't bow down or worship them. And guess what? They were true to their own convictions. And here they are. The music plays. They don't bow down. They don't worship. They're called on the carpet. They're before the king. And the king says, hey, you, you heard the edict. And this was said even before he brought him in. If anyone doesn't bow down to worship the image, you will be thrown into to a fiery furnace and you will die. And I love what they said. They said, you know what? Our God is able to deliver us. He can keep us from the fiery furnace. But if he doesn't, let me rephrase it, if he doesn't remove the mountain, we're still not going to bow down and we're not going to worship you. And we're not going to bow down to this image. And he said, okay, heat the furnace seven times hotter than it's ever been heated. 
So here they go. They, they heat the, sur- the, the, the furnace seven times higher than it's ever been heated. He says, get some strong, mighty men to throw these three Hebrews. We call them three Hebrew children, but they're not children. They're, they're grown men. Throw them in the furnace. This furnace is so hot that they can't even get close to it. Carrie and I yesterday, um, beautiful day yesterday, wasn't it? So we're cleaning out flower beds. We're, we're trying to rake up the leaves. And so we have a burn pit back behind our house. We live, you know, 12 miles from here. And so we can burn stuff. Don't try it in Duncan. But um, we burn stuff back behind our house. And we have this big pit. And uh, I remember years ago that uh, we had these brush piles back in the back. And uh, how many have ever burned a brush pile? I mean, those things get really hot. Uh, and we're talking about some of them, you know, are, are bigger than all these sections, you know, over here. And so we were burning this brush pile, and Aaron was small. And, and all they know about me is just ministry because I was preaching and pastor when they were born. And so they've heard me preach hundreds of sermons. And we're standing there watching this brush pile burn. And we had to be several feet away because, I mean, the heat's intense. And I remember standing there that day, and uh, Aaron's looking in this brush pile, and he says, Dad? He said, is heaven real? I said, yeah. He says, hell real? I said, yeah. Wonder what made him think about hell. I mean, he's looking at this burning brush pile. He says, dad, is hell real? I said, yeah, hell's real. I mean, his wheels are turning. Because, hey, nobody wants to go to hell. And here the fiery furnace is. Heated seven times hotter than it's ever been heated. And these mighty men are trying to get close enough to throw Shadrach, Meshach into the furnace. And they die while they're throwing them in. And so they're, they're cast into the fiery furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar is looking in through the flames and the fire. And he says this. Did not we throw three men into this furnace? But yet I see four walking around, and one looks like the Son of God. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm about to preach myself happy. I don't know what you're doing, but I'm happy. One looks like the Son of God. You know what God said in the verse we read at the beginning? I will be with you. I will be your God, I will strengthen you. I will hold you up by my righteous right hand. And you know what? If you believe that, even if you have to go through some stuff, God will be with you. And he will be with me. Can I hear an amen? God is with you today. And just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown in there, bound And the Bible says they walked out of it. Hey, you can't walk out of it unless you've been through it. A lot of people here, you've been through some stuff. And maybe you prayed for the mountain to be removed and it didn't get... It didn't get removed. If it doesn't get removed, climb it. If you can't climb it, go through it. I'm preaching better than what you think. You got to go through it. And when they came out of it, you see the enemy cast them in it, but they went through it and came out of it. And the only thing that had burned on them was the bonds that held them. If you will read that story again, this is what they observed. They said their clothes 
are just like they were when we cast them in. Their turbans are just like they were. They don't even have the smell of smoke on them. And there is not, I love this, there is not one hair on their body that is singed. You see, God is able to get you through your difficulties. He's able to get you through your circumstance. And you see, this furnace was bad enough. I'd hate to go to the the normal furnace, but heated up seven times hotter and God still took them through the fiery furnace. He didn't remove the furnace, but he took them through the furnace. You may be here today and say, Pastor, whoa, 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 whoa. You don't understand what's going on in my marriage. You don't understand what's going on in my health, my finances, my kids, my husband, my wife. Listen, you're pretty normal because we all go through some of this stuff. But I'm here to tell you, if you will believe God, he said, I will be with you. I will strengthen you. I'll get you through this if you just trust me and keep going. And God is true to his word. Let me sum this up with where we started. Last week we started with this verse, Matthew 21. Surely I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what is done to this fig tree, but also you shall say to this mountain, be removed, cast into the sea, and it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believe and you will receive. Yeah. Now, let me give you the scenario. Jesus is going to Jerusalem as the triumphal entry, the Lamb of God. Next day they go back, and he was hungry that morning. He walked by the fig tree, beautiful tree, green leaves, and he looks into the tree looking for fruit. There is none. And what did he do? He cursed the fig tree. Looked the same. No visible difference. Next day, fast forward today, they pass by the same tree and the disciples now say, look at the tree. It's withered. And if you look in your Bible, the Bible says it withered from the roots up. Say that with me. From the roots up. Even though the disciples could not see immediate results, there was something happening that they could not see in a realm they could not see, in a place they could not visibly see. Something was happening in the roots of those trees even though they could not see it. Sometimes in my life, in your life, there's something happening for us that we cannot see, but you've got to trust God that it's still happening even though you can't see it. You see, when you see things happening in a realm that is visible, it's very evident. But when you have to believe things are happening in a realm you cannot see, that's faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So something was happening to the tree even though the disciples could not see it. The results manifested later, but the event happened when Jesus spoke the word from that moment even though they could not see it. Sometimes we were walking by sight, not by faith. Sometimes we say, well, there's the mountain, nothing I can do about it. Sure, there's something you can do. You can pray for it to be removed. If it doesn't remove, climb it. If it doesn't get climbed, Tunnel through it. Because God said, one way or another, you're going to see this mountain fall before you. Now, how many of you believe that? I believe that. But here's the problem. Sometimes we give up way too early. And sometimes we don't see things happen with the natural eye. And we say, God's not moving. Honey, God was moving in the roots of that tree when nobody could see it. It only manifested later the next day. 
Sometimes it's not one day. Sometimes it's not two. Sometimes it's three, four, a week, or a year. But I'm going to guarantee you, if you will stay true to God, this is his promise to you. I will be with you. Bow your head with me. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory and hope changes everything.